0: If you want to open your Bibles at John 21, that's where we're going to be basing ourselves this morning. I just need to get my notes in order. We're going to be looking at a passage that concerns the disciples where Jesus, who has died and risen again, comes to meet with them for the third time. And it's a, it's a bit of a weird time for the disciples. They're kind of in between things. They're a bit unsure about what should happen, what should go on. And we're going to use this passage today... To help us work out what to do in those moments. Because as we live life, there'll be moments when we're not sure what we're meant to be doing. There'll be moments where we get perhaps slightly off track. Maybe not completely on it or with it. And it's helpful to know both that collectively that is normal. And that happens to all of us. But also, there are things in the Word that can help us get back on track. Or more accurately, we can see things in the Word about how God himself helps us get back on track. So that's the plan for this morning. We're going to look at the disciples, but mainly focusing on Peter. So I'm going to read from verse 1 of John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberius. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the fish ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. A long bit of narrative. The point here for Jesus is the reinstatement of Peter. He wants to get him back on track with the purposes of God. The disciples more broadly are involved in that. And we're going to dig into this passage to see what it has to say to us about getting on tr- back on track. But let's just get a bit of context, get a bit of background to work out exactly where the disciples are, are at. So, for three years, his disciples have been living in Jesus' pockets. They've been spending every day with him, spending loads of time with him. And he has trained them, he has admonished them, he has loved them, he has helped them, and he has led them. Then Jesus said to them, as part of that teaching, as part of that training, I'm going to die and rise again in three days, which is exactly what he did. And the disciples saw him die. And the disciples have seen the risen Christ twice already before this passage. But they're not too sure what to do. They're a bit confused about what they should do now. When Jesus was there, they knew exactly what they should do, but now he's not around the whole time. They're not too sure. So Simon Peter's resolve, his choice, his decision is, let's go back to what we used to do. Let's go back to what we know. Let's go fishing. That was their job. That's how they made money. Jesus has called them to be fishers of men. He called them out of being fishermen, They've gone back to being fishermen because they're confused. They're not too sure exactly what they should be doing now. So where are they? They're going back to the familiar. They're going back to what they know. They're going back to three years ago. They're winding back the clock and saying, well, what was that three years really about? We've seen some amazing things, but what are we doing now? Should we really be going ahead and do what Jesus did? Should, we, should we, he sent us out to go and heal the sick and preach the good news? But should we be doing that? He's not here anymore. Can we really do that now? Do we have the ability to do that now? Do we have the anointing to do that now? Do we have the commission to do that now? We don't know. So they go back to fishing. It's like the last three years hadn't really happened. And sometimes when there's a significant leader, someone amongst you that, that is leading, when they, when they stop, it makes you think, where do we go? What do we do? I know the minions felt this. They could relate to the disciples. The minions, when they had no villain to follow, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to channel their energy. They didn't know where to channel their mischievousness, their naughtiness. They didn't know what to do with it because they needed a leader. And the disciples here are a little bit like those minions without Gru. They need someone to tell them what to do, where to go to channel their energies. They are stuck. And perhaps, maybe, for the disciples, they're full of disappointment and confusion. They're disappointed with what life now offers. It was exciting following Jesus. It was amazing following Jesus. Around every corner was a miracle or a healing or a demon cast out or people being saved. It was amazing. But he's no longer there with them all the time. Maybe, and particularly for Peter, there's disappointment with himself. Remember, he's denied Jesus three times. He said, I don't know him. I do not know him. This is the man that said, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll always be with you. And yet, a challenge comes and he denies it. Maybe Peter's completely disappointed with himself and saying, Well, I should be the rock upon which the church is built, but actually, I'm not worth anything. I, I, I can fish. I can fish. I can't lead. I can't reach out. I can't lead this mission, but I can fish. I'm going to go back to fishing. Maybe he's disappointed with himself. Maybe he's disappointed. With Jesus, maybe the disciples are disappointed. With Jesus, why have you left us? Our great leader, you've died, you've rose again, and you've appeared, but you're not with us anymore. Why? Maybe there's a level of disappointment. Jesus meets them where they are at. Now, for them, this is literal. He comes to them. They can't find him. He comes to them where they are at. Is that that what we expect of God? Is that what we expect of Jesus? When we mess up When we're confused, when we go back to the familiar, when we don't do really what we know we should be doing, when we've been set up by Jesus, given a commission, when we've been trained by him and asked to do something, when we go back to something that's more comfortable, something that's easier, something that we do more normally every day, when we go back to that instead of what God's called us to, do we expect Jesus to meet us there? Or do we expect God to be far off, admonishing and chastising and telling us off from a distance? What do we expect? Well, Jesus comes to the disciples and meets them exactly where they are. My friends, this is the God that we worship, and this is the gospel that we believe. Because if it isn't, we're stuffed. Because if we don't worship a God who meets us where we're at, we've got no chance. We've got no hope. And for those who follow Jesus already, or those who believe in those who've given their lives to Him, we know, as was brought by Rory, interpreting Will's tongue, we were in a pit. We we're in a mess. And there's no way we could have clambered our way out through our own good works, our own efforts. We couldn't have done that. Jesus meets us where we're at. And I think we're convinced of that in a Gospel salvation sense. But I'd like to suggest that actually it's true for every situation that we face right now. The disciples, let's remind ourselves, have gone back to fishing. They're not doing really what Jesus had set them up to do be fishers of men. But they're fishing. And he comes and meets them where they're at, he comes to them to help them where they are at. And how does he do it? What does he say? Does he bellow from the shore? Oi! You lot! I spent three years with you and the first thing I said was be fishers of men. Do you not remember? Get back to the job in hand, you losers. No. He didn't say that. What does he do? Have you caught any fish? No. Try the right-hand side of the boat. 153 large fish into a net that doesn't break. There's miracles all over the place there. There's no small fish in there. The net doesn't break. And it's the end of the night or the morning when the fish probably shouldn't be there. And miraculously, they get lots of fish. Amazing. Let's put it back in the context again to see how even more amazing this is. They are doing the very thing they've been called out of. They've gone back to the thing that is familiar and normal. In some senses, you could argue they have disobeyed what Jesus had said to them. They're not really on track. They're not really on mission. They're not really doing the things that Jesus set them up to do. And yet, in the midst of that, he blesses them. He gives them 153 fish for their endeavours, to put it over the right hand side. I can't, I can't actually get my head around this as to why Jesus does this, apart from the fact to demonstrate even more that he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. To give you an idea what it might be like, there are some amongst us here who are beyond the age of blankies and tippy cups. Beakers, some must us are beyond the age. Let me suggest that the age is about five, four, maybe. Some of us are beyond the age of that. And as parents, we want to encourage our children to mature, to put aside the blankies, to put aside the tippy cups, to move on to cups, maybe move on to a teddy bear, something a bit bigger, a bit more mature. This here is like... There's some people in this building who know exactly what I'm talking about. Already, I won't name them because that would be a shame. Um, This is like parents coming to an 18 year old, boy or girl, and saying, Hey, guess what? I know you love it. I know you meant to grow up, but hey, here's your blankie. I've been keeping it for 20 years. (laughs) That doesn't work, does it? 18, 16 years. Here you go, have it back. And here's the tippy cup that you loved as well. Here you go. Go back to your childhood. Go back to what's comfortable. Go back to what's easy. That's the best thing for you right now. Go for it. It just doesn't seem right and it seems a bit weird. And Jesus, in the middle of this, because of his grace, because of his blessing, he says to them, have a miraculous catch. Have a load of fish. You've put loads of effort into it. It's got nowhere, because on your own efforts, it's not going to work. But with me, I'll bless it. There you go. God's grace at work. What's the point here? We can feel that we need to achieve a certain amount of holiness or good works or be in the right place or have done the right amount of Bible reading or prayed for the right amount of time in order for Jesus to meet with us. But let me tell you, for every single person in this room this morning, this is true. Whatever age you are, however holy you consider yourself to be, however sparkling you consider yourself to be, Jesus wants to meet you where you are. He doesn't say, if you get your walk with me, your personal devotion sorted, just then, just maybe, if you reach the threshold, I might come and meet with you. He doesn't say, if your tally of sins is less than the thousands for a week, I'll come and meet with you. He doesn't say, if you are now six years old and you can read a little bit in the Bible, now I'll come and meet with you because that's the reason why. Jesus meets us where we are at. Jesus met these disciples where they were at. When they were fishing for fish rather than fishing for men, he meets them there. This helps us get back on track because instead of trying to get ourselves sorted out in our own efforts and our own energies, instead of trying to go back to fishing, instead of doing these things, we just come to Jesus. Or rather, he comes to us and helps us. Jesus meets us where we are at. Number one, in terms of getting us back on track. Number two, Jesus knows you're human. From verse 9 onwards, I would articulate that this bit of the Bible is one of my favourite bits in the whole of the Bible. I love it. I love it for so many reasons. For a start, it has a barbecue in there. Not only has it got a barbecue, but it's got a real barbecue. Now, if you want, I can now produce a theology of barbecues... Jesus says barbecues on coals are better than gas barbecues. You can read it here. It's right he's not using a gas barbecue, he's using a barbecue with coals. Now I have to sneak in a confession here. This year we did buy a gas barbecue. I know. It was we're married, we have to make decisions together. I was involved in the decision. It didn't go my way, I'll be honest with you. But I love it. I love it. Who, who loves a barbecue? Who doesn't love a barbecue? Yeah, Everyone loves it. Who loves a barbecue? Everyone loves a barbecue. Who loves beaches? Yeah, We're on the beach with the Jesus having a barbecue. Who loves Jesus? Who loves fish for breakfast? <laughs> not, not quite as many. OK. But three out of four is not bad, is it? It's a great moment. It's a wonderful moment. These are guys who have been out all night fishing. They've caught nothing. A miraculous catch comes. They come to the shore. They meet with Jesus. He's already prepared a barbecue. He's got some fish cooking it on ready. They add their fish to it, and then he feeds them. He serves them. It's just beautiful that the Almighty, the Creator, the One who was there at the beginning, who spoke into being creation. The one who created the sun, whose heat keeps our earth alive, physically builds a fire. Cooks, catches and cooks some fish for his disciples because he knows that's exactly what they need at that moment. Let's remind ourselves, what is Jesus about here? He's got one task in mind. He's reinstating Peter. He wants Peter to set about leading the church. That's what he wants to do. We see that at the end. But before he gets there, he makes a barbecue, he cooks some fish, and he serves them breakfast. Jesus knows we're human. Jesus knew Peter very well. Now, from my reading of the Gospels, Peter seems pretty fiery anyway. And from my knowledge of my own personality, to challenge me or admonish me when I'm hungry is a very bad idea. Can you imagine the combination of Peter and being hungry or angry or hangry? Jesus knows us, and he knows that we're human. He knows Peter's human. So after a long night, no sleep, no food, he comes and, and feeds him. He comes and cares for him. He connects with him relationally. He services serves him and meets his physical need at that point in time. And that's good pastoral advice for us. Don't bring a challenge on an empty stomach, both for yourself and the person involved. Parenting, a bit of advice here. Don't raise significant challenges with your parents when you're hungry or they're hungry. It makes a difference. It's slightly humorous, but it does make a difference. We're humans. We need things. We need food. We need rest. God gets it. He gets us. If we skip into Psalm 103 briefly, verse 13. This describes our God. This describes Jesus, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Compared to an almighty God, we are like dust. And that can make us feel insignificant, but that's not the point. The point is this. He has compassion on us. He knows we're humans. He knows what we need. He knows how to look after us. And we see that if you're at the weekend away. We took some time to look at Elijah when he faces the prophets of, of Baal and then is then opposed by Jezebel and runs scared and is exhausted and depressed. And before God addresses him, he brings ravens to miraculously feed him. God knows we're human. God knew Elijah was human. He knew Peter was human. He knows we are human. He knows what we need. So we can help Jesus help get us get back on track if we recognize the fact that we are human. John Stott was once asked, he's an amazing theologian, wrote so many books and so helpful. He was once asked, what's John, or Dr. Stott probably, what is the key? What is the key to spiritual fervor, of maintaining your passion for Jesus? What is the key? I'm sure there's lots of different answers lots of different people could give, but he chose this one at that point in time. He said, knowing how much sleep you need and getting it. Now, that's not an answer we'd have gone for, but this is a man who, who had lived life and he knew that he was human, and therefore, he made sure that the basic needs he needed were met in order that he could live well for Jesus. There's once, when we were leading the student work, one of the students came to me and, and just said, my, my life is a mess. I, 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 I'm so down. I can't, I can't do the things I want to do. I'm trying to live for Jesus, but it's so hard. I'm, It's just difficult. It's really hard. I just said to him, how much sleep have you had in the last week? Not a lot. Well, why don't you spend a week getting the right amount of sleep and come back and have a chat? And without exaggerating, he came back a week later and said, oh, everything's fine. Sorted. Back on track again. We are human. We need to rest. We need to eat. Now, there are times in life where we can't manage those things totally We can't control those things completely. I understand that. But we need to recognize that we are human. God recognizes it. We need to recognize it and take care of ourselves. And unfortunately, children, the application, what this means for you is that when your parents say, I think you're tired and it's time to go to bed, it's probably a good idea to listen to them. And if you start crying at that point and say, I'm not tired, I'm not tired, that means you are. Okay? So we need to recognise Is that Tracy, is that Owen? You have problems with Owen, do you? Yeah. Whether we're children or adults, we need to recognise we need to get the sleep we need and the food we need. It does make a difference. But the point is this Jesus knows. That we're human. He doesn't ask of a superhuman capabilities because he knows that we're human. He doesn't come and address Peter immediately as he gets off the boat and say, "Look, do you really love me?" He feeds him. He lets him rest a little bit. He looks after him. He gives him food. It's a beautiful moment. So if. You are off track. If, if life's not feeling quite right, maybe you just need to get a little bit more sleep and a bit more food and that might make the difference. It might be as simple as that. There's probably more complicated things in there as well. but That is a key thing that we need to recognize. And I guess, let me, for, for parents of young children, let me just throw in here, if you are not getting a lot of sleep, don't expect to be expressing your love for Jesus in the same way or expect to be living your life in the same way you did when you were single and you got as much sleep as you want. That's not to downgrade expectations and not to push into God or believe for him or be obedient. That's not to say you dismiss your quiet times or your devotional times with him at all. You've just got to lower your expectations. If you get in less sleep, you've got less energy. We're human. We're not superhuman. So God knows that. You need to recognize that as well and don't go as hard on yourself. Right, final point. It is the longest one though, so don't get too comfortable. Verse 15, entitled here, Jesus reinstates Peter. Peter has denied Jesus three times. He knows he's messed up big time. In one of the previous appearances, Jesus came and said, peace. But he's not addressed Peter directly. Peter doesn't know where he stands. He doesn't know what's going on. And Jesus is setting about reinstating him. How would we have reinstated Peter? Right, Peter. Can we have a look back at what happened recently? Can we do that? Yeah, that's fine. Well, what went wrong from your perspective, Peter? How could we approach that slightly better? What, if we did that again, if, uh, if I died uh, and uh, was crucified, how, how would you do that again? If you were told, are you one of his disciples, what would you say now? Hmm? Would you say... Yes or no? Is that, what you, what you, that's perhaps how we might have approached it. Maybe we would have approached it in a slightly different way. He said, Peter, how's your relationship with your parents? Tell me about your upbringing. Tell me the deepest, darkest bits of your heart and soul, because we need to bring them out. We need to plumb those depths and see what was really going on in your heart to see what your motivation was so we can change that. Is that okay? Jesus doesn't do that. We'd have a longer chapter and a longer preach if we did. did, Fortunately for us, he just asks Peter a question. He says, do you love me or do you truly love me? And this chat is about getting Peter back on track. It's about getting Peter back into the place where he should have been. Remember back in the Gospels, Jesus said, Peter... You're the rock I'm going to build this church upon. You're the the one I'm going going to build this all upon. You're going to be the leader of the church. You're going to be the one that people look to. But he's denied Jesus three times. And here three times he's asked, do you love me? And three times he said, feed my lambs or feed my sheep. Now, I need to bring some clarity on that in terms of the feeding the sheep and feeding the lambs. Jesus wasn't secretly a shepherd with a flock out in the fields. Kids, just in case you're wondering, what he's saying here is, Peter, I want you to look after my people and look after the church. I want you to feed them by making sure they're getting the word of God into them and by looking after them. And in verse 18, we read, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter's life is not going to finish that easy or that nice. There's going to be challenges, and, and, and legend has it he was also crucified, that his life was very difficult at the end. So what's this really about? It's getting Peter back into the centre of God's purposes. Not fishing, but leading the church and living completely for Jesus. But what's Jesus really saying to Peter? If we take all that context into account... When he says to Peter, do you love me? What is he saying? He's saying, you've made mistakes, Peter, but you're not written off. You've not lived up to what I've called you to, but I'm still going to use you. But he's also saying, following me is about loving me. Loving me is about putting that love into action, and putting that love into action will lead to persecution. It will lead to challenges. And it will lead ultimately to a difficult end to your life. So, Peter, are you up for it? Peter, do you love me? Peter will know, and we'll also know, that earlier in Jesus' life, he said things like this in John 16 In this world, you will have trouble. John 15 19 to 20. You do not belong to the world but i've chosen you out of the world that is why the world hates you if they persecuted me they will persecute you also matthew 16:24 whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me Jesus is making it clear to Peter, and we need to be clear today. Following Jesus isn't about blessing and joy and fulfillment and peace and grace alone. It is about those things. But it is about suffering and persecution and difficulty and challenge. We should expect it. Yesterday, as a family, we went in search of snow. We went out to Ringing low. And we sledged, we built a minute snowman, and then we had a snowball fight. And the teams were announced, I didn't announce it boys against girls. I've got four girls. I think it was about fair, to be honest, but anyway. And we had a snowball fight. If in the middle of the fight I got hit with a snowball and said, Oi! That's not right! Don't hit me with a snowball, that's not fair! You'd go, don't be so stupid. It's a snowball fight. You got hit with a snowball. You should expect it. But how often in life, when something awful happens or something difficult happens or we're facing a battle, do we go, oh, I didn't expect that? Where did that come from? The instant you commit to following Jesus, you commit to entering a battle, to entering a fight. So if we get hit Don't be surprised. If it's hard, don't be surprised. If it feels like a battle, congratulations, it is. It's exactly what we've been called into. For Peter, although Jesus had flanked it up, he was not expecting Jesus to be arrested and crucified, he was caught off guard. His theology, his doctrine was not quite right. It's like an undercooked doctrine of suffering. We're following Jesus. I'm pretty convinced he's the Messiah, so it's all going to go okay. It's all going to go all right. We've nothing to worry about. We've got the creator of the world with us. It's going to be fantastic. It doesn't happen. He gets hit with a snowball. He didn't expect it, and now he's off track. What do we do now? Why has is, why is he been crucified? He's come back to life again, but I still don't know what's going on. For us, if we have an undercooked or an unbiblical view of suffering, when life gets difficult or challenging, we can get knocked off track. It can take us out of the place we know we should be. It can push us away from God sometimes as well. We need to know as followers of Jesus where we are in a battle and we will get hit with snowballs. There will be challenges, there will be difficulties and there will be persecution. It's low level for us but the Bible guarantees it. There will be persecution. People won't like us sharing the good news of Jesus. What is going to get... Peter through this? What's going to get him ultimately back on track? What's going to get us through these challenges, these difficulties, these battles? Duty will only get us so far. Discipline can be helpful and zeal can accomplish much, but love of Jesus is the key issue. That's the qualification for reinstatement for Peter. It's love. And that's the attitude and fuel that will get Peter through the rest of his life. And that's what Jesus has asked of every disciple since then. And today, Jesus asks us the same thing. Life is going to be tough. There will be challenges. It will be hard if you're going to follow me. Maybe you've messed up. You've written yourself off. But I've got plans for you. So he asks today, do you love him. Do you love Jesus? There may be a variety of answers that you might give to that. Maybe you'll say, oh, I'm not sure. Let me encourage you, find out more about Jesus and what he's done for you, and then let his love shine through. Maybe you might answer, I do, but actually I'm quite happy with my comfortable life and I don't really want to be challenged too much. Well, let me encourage you, find out more about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and then let that love shine through in a way that makes you say, I will sacrifice everything for him. Or maybe your answer is yes, Lord, heart and soul, I'm totally in, I love you, I'm going for it, I don't care what the cost is. Well, let me encourage you. Find out more about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you so that your love does not grow cold. However, here's my tip. If we want to love Jesus more, don't focus on your love for him. Focus on his love for you. 1 John 4.10 says this, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice. This is love. Not that we love God. Let's not focus on that. This is love. That He sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. As we heard before, we're in a mess, we're in a pit. We were in our sin. There's no way we could have gotten out of it. And Jesus has come and cleansed us completely. His death on the cross has paid the price for our sins. It's removed our shame. It's taken away our sins as far as from the east, as from the west. It's enabled us to be adopted into God's family. His atoning sacrifice has made up for every mess we've ever made and ever will make in order that we can know God. That's love. His love for us. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you are caught between things like the disciples and Peter. Maybe you have messed up a little bit. Maybe you are even backsliding a little bit. Maybe your life is a complete mess. Maybe you're totally sorted. But what I do know is Jesus wants to meet you where you are. He met the disciples where they were at and he'll meet you today where you are at in your mess In your sin, in your disappointment, in your challenges, in your difficulties, he will meet you there. And he'll care for you. He knows you're human. He'll provide for you. He'll give you what you need. He knows your challenges. He knows your difficulties. He knows you're just human. But he wants to use you. He wants to ask you and he wants to ask us, church, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you really love him? Because if you do, we've got a church to build, a city to transform, and a world to reach. We've got a light to shine. We want to shine like stars in Sheffield. And as Dan put it earlier, we want to be shiny Jesus followers. And that's what Jesus wants of us too. Let's pray. And they will respond initially by singing.